0: Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes. To all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, got an exciting show for you today. I got a returning guest, returning CPA, Evan Kirkpatrick. And last time when we talked, we talked a lot about buy and hold investing. We talked about uh, depreciation, um, you know, passive loss. We talked about being a real estate professional and we just didn't have enough time to get into flipping. So we agreed to uh, do our own show on that. So how you doing, Evan?
1: Good, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing great, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, Taking 30, 45 minutes out of your busy week is, is greatly appreciated. Um, you know, where do you want to start in this flipping thing? You want to kind of define it for folks because it's very different than buy and hold, right? It's more of an active, it's more of a job, frankly. Uh, you want to kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, there?
1: and that's absolutely the dynamic that rules this. So flipping is we buy a house with the intention of reselling it we're not, there's not going to be a period where we rent it out. We're buying a house with the intention of reselling it. Typically this is done with some sort of rehab in the middle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially with real estate commissions, you know, there's different, there's some items where you can buy them You can buy low, sell high without Mm -hmm. doing anything, you know, stocks. That's obviously kind of what people talk about a lot of time with that, Mm -hmm. but any number of things houses aren't that, that because of the commissions and the closing costs. So there has to be some way where we buy a house, you know, we buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars, we put $25,000 of work into it and then we sell it for 175, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and like Michael was saying, it's very much more like a business. Mm -hmm. It is, it is not something that can be done passively. Right. In the sense of you can't just like buy it and say, hey, you go fix this house and you do your thing, you know, because there's so many other elements that come into play versus like with with some sort of turnkey rental. The point of a turnkey rental is you can just buy the house and, you know, you can get a management company to put a tenant in and like you really don't necessarily have to do that much. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might not necessarily make a lot of money doing that, especially in the short term, but you don't have to put a lot of work into it. Flipping is kind of the opposite end of residential real estate where we're going to put in a lot of work for the expectation of being able to generate a lot of return in a short time period. Mm -hmm. This has a lot of implications. I see a number of people like, the, the most the the most likely number of flips a real estate investor has done is one because they do it, and they, don't <laughs> <like> it. <laughs> they do
0: it once i didn't like that that was terrible i'm out
1: <laughs> and, and there's nothing necessarily there's nothing wrong with that no um i tell people like hey like if you break even on the first flip you're doing well you're doing are you doing fine at a minimum because there's a lot of learning that goes into it mm-hmm. uh you have to figure out how to how to buy id properties that are good flip candidates how to how to, well, first you have to figure out how to like get in the loop of even seeing properties that are good flip candidates, yeah. IDing them accurately, estimating how much it's going to take to, to fix them, mm-hmm. IDing what you want to fix them into so mm-hmm. you don't over repair them, which mm-hmm. happens a lot, um, figuring out what it looks like in terms of uh, hiring contractors. Up until recently, and probably in a lot of places still now, the biggest issue has been hiring good contractors. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that's because the biggest issue for the contractors has been hiring good people to work for them. I the work subs- with a number of contractors yeah. as well, and they employment struggles have been constant. Uh, when you talk to them for years now, mm-hmm. uh, they they can't fire good, they can't hire, uh, excuse me, they can't hire good people to work for them, so they can't staff out their their projects sufficiently. Right. Um, so you have to get all that stuff. You, you know, for most people, it's like figuring out how to be your own general contractor, or at least mm-hmm. figuring out how to ID a general contractor that's good, and then getting it listed and sold. And not to mention you have to finance all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, banks don't like doing mm-hmm. financing on uh, flipping properties most of mm-hmm. the time. Their model is based off of loans being outstanding for longer terms than that. Mm-hmm. This is where like hard money comes into play. Hard money being a borrowing money from an individual Mm -hmm. to to cover you know the the down payment uh because you're not living in it you're gonna have to get to you're gonna have to get to 20 up front and then you're probably gonna have to finance your own repair costs and things like that you know and and a lot of flippers they're using what's they're using money from essentially private individuals Mm -hmm. to to do this Mm -hmm. um so you have to get that connected and so there's a whole bunch of steps that come into it but the reverse of it is that if you're good at flipping and you do it well. It's the sort of thing where you actually can like make a lot of money in a short time period. Mm -hmm. You can flip, you know, the, the expert flippers, they can flip 20, 30, 40 houses in a year and make, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or more on each of them. And obviously they're paying some people. They're not just managing all this themselves. They'll have like their own project manager and stuff like that. So they're having to split that up, but you can actually build a "Quote unquote scalable operation off of mm-hmm. off of this stuff in a way that you can't necessarily do with residential real estate." Yeah, and there's you know we can have a whole conversation on what scale means and what scale looks like in this sort of context, yeah. and, and it really depends on your goals. But if you if you're trying to make money in real estate, it, it's not a, not necessarily about like preserving your wealth plus getting some return, but like if you're really trying to change your financial fortune. Well, okay, flipping might be a way to do it. Flipping is also a way to potentially lose a bunch of money in real estate. Oh, for sure. More quickly. Uh, if you over-repair, if you, over repair, if you just bad buy bad flips, if you have the market fall out from under you while you own, you know, I've got six, you know, if you're someone's like, I got six flips right now and then prices take a 20% haircut. Well, sorry, like eh, you're, you're toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not toast, but like it's- Oh, it's no, you're toast. I,
0: I knew a guy that was worth 10 million bucks <laughs> legit and in, in lost it all in 08 because he got caught with, five or six million dollar flips in the Bay area that when all, all went under water at the same time and he just couldn't get out of the way. It happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you could do flipping with things, you know, flipping concepts apply to things beyond just single family and duplexes. You know, there's a lot of flipping, a lot of uh, syndicated apartment complexes. For sure. A lot of the apartment complex deals it's done with this, forced appreciation concept in mind. Um, Force you know, in order to get the economics of the usual real estate deal work, but you could you could do you could do a lot of the flipping concepts and turn them into single family or turn them into rentals. Mm -hmm. And there's enough people chasing deals right now that in order to get the economics on deal work, generally, if you want something to cash flow right away, or you want something to make money right away, you have to do some sort of work on the Mm -hmm. inside. For sure, Um, there's there's just the margins are too thin to just buy properties that are essentially ready to roll. And you know, if you're just starting out, unless you have a real good deal conduit, um, you just have someone that just like, gives you a gift. Mm-hmm. If, there, if there are deals that don't necessarily take that sort of work, they are probably not going to come to you. Because mm-hmm. the people that want to, you know, hey, I've got this hot deal here, you know, they're going to go first and foremost to someone that will close quickly. Mm-hmm. that's the number one thing that they know will close and will close quickly. That's where the good deals go to. And that again, you know, that goes into the whole conversation about scale in real estate and things like that, where the more deals you do, the better position you are to get more deals because people know that you can execute. If you get a good tip from someone and you're struggling to finance it and like you can't close because you can't get your hard money in line and, and all that stuff. It makes it tougher for that person to come back to you. But if you can get all your ducks in a row, the more that you can prove to like people in your pipeline, hey, like I, I will be the one that will get this done for you. I will get this done quickly. You will get paid quickly. Mm-hmm. That makes them want to come to you. Right. With your contractors, it's like, hey, like I'm, you know, we're going to have a reasonable rate, but like I have deals. Like I'm going to take, I'm going to make sure that if you do what you're supposed to do, I take care of you. Those are the sorts of people that will work with you. Um, and that's where like flipping becomes a business. Exactly. Real estate becomes a business because it is about building relationships. It's about having some amount of volume in there. It's about, you know, building systems where it's like the reason why the first flip doesn't make money. A lot of times it's not necessarily because like the deal was estimated badly or like the contractors are bad. A lot of it's that it takes too long. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. yeah. yeah, The holding cost, the interest, the paraded, the parade of taxes and insurance. For sure. Um, you get eaten up because what an experienced flipper could do in three months, it takes you six just yeah. to kind of go through all the steps. And that's and that not it, bad if it's a learning experience.
0: Yeah. And that's why from 2015 to 2019, flipping, frankly, was sexy because people were making mistakes, but time was bailing them out, right? You were actually having price inflation. <laughs> right right a 3 month job took 6 months well great the market went up 2% so my holding cost was covered
1: that doesn't right. happen yeah, it it, is- it, it's it's just like you know especially because and just there's a simple way math way to think about it like if i'm paying if i'm paying 10% a year on an interest well i i'm only borrowing you know 80% ltv or something like that if these prices are going up 2% a month or whatever like okay like, you win. <laughs> yeah but that's not normal no true um, and, and right now we're also in like the lowest interest rate environment, hopefully what we're going to see. Um, and, and with hard money too, your rates get better with experience, right? Sure. Like, because hard money, it's a single individual. Like I am trusting you with my money. Don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. And when you come to them with a track record, it makes it a lot easier for them to say, here, just take this. Yeah. Um, One know, question that this is probably going to work.
0: Yeah. One question I had for you. And again, I want to piece some vocabulary or words you've used uh, just to make sure everybody sees it. One of them you said was short term, right? Is there a length of time where the tax treatment is treated differently? Is it a year? Is it two
1: years? Right. Um, So flipping in general is a business. mm -hmm. It is treated as a business net flipping income and Business income, it's all a net income concept. It's not about how much I sold something for. It's about how much I sold something for, less what I bought it for, less my operating expenses. Mm-hmm. Flipping is a business as far as tax is concerned. Mm-hmm. If you're only doing like one flip or something like that, there can be alternatives. But if you're doing flipping with any amount of regularity, it is a business. It creates earned income,
0: okay.
1: uh, which is taxed at ordinary rates, which is subject to the self-employment tax. Yep. You know, assuming you don't do structuring things to avoid that. And this is something that trips a lot of people up because they're not adequately prepared for the tax consequences. But it is earned income. In that sense, the holding period doesn't matter. Now, if you're talking about, you're talking about doing you know a rehab and then you're putting in it in as a rental and then you hold the rental for a year, then you know if you rent a property for a year, then it's no longer, it's not ordinary income anymore. That's long-term capital gain and that's a whole different ball of wax. But, we, yep. but for, the, for this conversation, let's just say I'm just flipping houses. I'm never renting them. That's a business. Right. So
0: even if you had a flip that for whatever reason took a year, if the intent was a, to be a flip and it wasn't you know, some kind of you, know, you buy and hold and then became a flip, even if it's a 13 months, it's still active income. Correct.
1: It's not any different than like, hey, like I bought a basketball and it sat on the shelf in my store for 13 months and then I sold it. Got it. And that doesn't become, it doesn't become an ordinary asset. It was bought for the purpose of resale. Very cool. So,
0: and I think this is still true. um, If you own your, if you, if it's a primary residence, is there still that treatment for two years? If you, if you, yes.
1: For your primary residence, if you have lived in your primary residence, when you sell it, for 2 out of the last 5 years. Then when you sell it, you can exclude for a single person up to $250,000 of gain for a married couple up to 500,000. Yeah. And there's various technical provisions in there, uh, you know, if for instance if you if you own a rental and then you convert it or excuse me, if you own your prime residence and then you convert it into a rental, which happens frequently, and then you sell the rental, you know, there can be various limitations on the gain exclusion, although you still get the bulk of it uh, you yeah. still there's still a major incentive to sell within that five year period if you can mm-hmm. say I have lived in it for two out of five years right. I rented it for two years at the end and then I sold it. yeah um, there's still you still get a gain exclusion in there
0: yeah the but, reason I brought that up is because I again I live in Silicon Valley which is the land of you know million oh yeah. dollar homes I actually know several people um, that that they do that they they basically move into a an old 1950s three-bedroom, one-bath ranch. They didn't remodel it. They live in it, so they legit live in it. And they just spend two years remodeling every square inch of it. And then at you know, two years or two and a half years, they go, up oh, onto the next one. And then they- Yeah,
1: you know. it's, it's kind of a, a different form of house hacking. Exactly. Uh, which is a concept related to duplexes and rentals and kind of, you know, I keep bringing up terms. but um, That's okay. But that's know. legit, but it, right? It, but they, it, that is
0: absolutely 100% a legit thing to do.
1: But in the Bay Area in particular, because this appreciation has been so predictable for the Mm -hmm. last few years, and it'll be interesting to see in the Bay Area in particular, how that holds now now in the work from home era. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's definitely something you can do. Uh, I've also seen people in the Bay Area where, you know, it's the kind of the one place that for actually like relatively average upper middle class people that a $500,000 gain exclusion hasn't necessarily been enough. Yeah, it's true. For people that like bought in the nineties and are selling now, it's like, I bought this house for $175,000. It's worth like 1.3 million.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and, and you can't actually have income tax on the sale of your primary residence. If you get past this gain exclusion, no question. most people, like if your house is worth less than half a million dollars and you lived in it two the last five years and you're a couple, okay, you're, you can't you're have any gain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of the one place where that gets tested.
0: Yeah, no. And, and again, the, the couple, a couple of people that I know do it, it, it's, again, they've been able to do it. I think their net profit has been somewhere between three hundred dollars and $400,000 several times. And that's tax-free, right? As soon as yeah. they've stayed in it, they lived in it, right? They, they follow all the rules. So
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of a special, you know, there's a, it's, a, it's been a special strategy they can employ in this mm-hmm. one particular period. Yeah, very unique. If you're area. listening to this right now, it's probably not what you want to do. Yeah, um, true. True.
0: Yeah, very, very true. The other thing you talked about is intentions. Right at the beginning of your walkthrough is your intentions to flip. So I wanted to scratch that a little bit. Let's just say uh, I buy a rental because I'm a buy and hold guy. Uh, and then my intention is to rent it. And then for whatever reason, somebody comes out of the blue and offers me more money and I sell it. So I just want to scratch that word intentions. W- what was when you- We're talked talking about for flip. tax purposes here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Was- I mean, ultimately you're- your intent matters for some things, but for this purpose, ultimately it's going to be what actually happens. Okay. Like that so, runs the tax treatment. So like, okay, I was intending to put it in as a buy and hold rental, but I never actually did. I never had that rental period. It actually like if you if you didn't know my intent, it looks like a flip. For that purpose, it will be taxed like a flip. The okay. versus actually true. Um
0: Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I scratched all the words that could be defined.
1: Yeah. Uh, Okay.
0: And then uh, because it is a business that allows you to take other good expenses, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the big stuff that comes up a lot of times in flipping businesses is one, they spend a lot of money on advertising, yeah, forms of no marketing. Yep. Um, there are, you don't have to do that to, to be a successful flipper, but most of the ones with some amount of volume they're doing some sort of paid advertising obviously they can write that off you know if you've got a va or assistant or something like that, VA is a virtual assistant you got someone that's answering the phone Um, that's relatively normal for flipping too because it's based off of hey like this person is trying to unload their house in a hurry And so I got to pay this person to deal with it. Like all that sort of admin stuff. If you maintain a physical office, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you're flipping 30 houses a year, you know, you're gonna have a project manager, you're gonna have a physical office, like, and for all that, like anything that a business could deduct a flipping business can deduct the IRS terminology and and the code is, um, ordinary necessary. If it's an ordinary necessary business expense, you can deduct it that's really not that high of a bar. Ultimately. I mean, it's going to encompass a lot of things. Like if you're a flipper and you spend money to go to real estate conferences, Mm -hmm. you spend money to, you know, to go get additional training, you spend money to, to travel to new areas and to existing areas and look at different stuff. You, you know, all these different things, you pay referral fees. Uh, Those are usually actually could go into a particular project, but you know, just because something's not chargeable to a specific deal doesn't mean you can't write it off for tax purposes. Uh, there's a lot of that that's actually true for buy and hold also, which mm-hmm. is something that's underlevered uh, a lot of the time. But, you know, it, it really comes down to, is this something that makes sense to spend money on to make more money? Like I'm spending this money on this thing because I have an expectation that, that it's going to help me make more money. You
0: know? Right.
1: Then that's when you get deductions.
0: Ugh. Yeah. So when you when you think about um I don't know if you want to call it mistakes or maybe it's opportunities missed is a, a kind way of saying it. When you think about the flippers that you've looked at and again you're looking at them from the you know the income statement right or cash flow yeah. statement as well. W- what are some things that are opportunities missed that you've seen and you you've helped people tweak so they get uh, more of a benefit is it, is it the deductions that they're not taking or what is it?
1: You can get some of that A lot of it, the biggest thing I would tell someone that's starting out is keep incredibly good records. Um, However good your records are, keep better records than what you are. Because the biggest issues we see are, hey, we just lose track of where everything is. We can't figure out what to do with this stuff. And, you know, what you can't do to an accountant these days is you can't just go and be like, here's a stack of receipts or whatever, figure out how much money I made on this. Yeah. Well, one... Like the business just doesn't really work that way <laughs> these yeah. days, um, and you're you're not going to get the quality of a person working on your account that you want if you make them do all the stuff, or they're going to charge you a lot of money to do it. Yeah,
0: ridiculous. Yeah,
1: we don't like doing that. No, of um, course not. Yeah, yeah. We we want essentially we want to, to see things be categorized and organized and essentially like, Hey, for, you know, for each flip, like, okay, this is how much it costs. This is what I spent. And the truth the truth of it is that you need to know those things. Mm -hmm. Like you can't sit around and wait for me to, on the tax side to tell you an answer, you know, like in June, you know, when you close this flip 13 months ago, like how on earth are you supposed to make intelligent financial decisions (laughs) at that point? You have to know your numbers. Yeah. That's why accounting exists. Accounting conceptually doesn't exist for the feds. Um, a lot of people, I only do it because of, of income tax, but you know, you go, I have a, I have two degrees in accounting. You go sit in a graduate level, essentially like accounting theory class. Like why does accounting exist is just so that people can make management decisions. Correct. Yeah. That's why. And you have to do that. If you're flipping, you have to know your numbers. You are managing a business. And so in some form or fashion, you know, at small scale, Excel's fine. Yeah. It's, you know, buy and hold flipping like either way, like Excel's yeah. perfectly fine. But you yeah. need to know this is what I bought. You know, this is what I'm spending. Uh, yeah. Really, I would say if you're doing a flip, if you're doing a buy and hold and you don't have a pro forma, which a pro forma is essentially like an estimate of, you know, this is what I expect for buy and hold like this is what i expect like my annual my annual rent to be my expenses you know all yes. this and, and my net cash flow my net income or for a flip like this is what i expect to buy it for this is how much i'm going to pay in rehab this is how much i'm going to pay in holding costs for for interest and taxes and insurance and all that and you know this is how much i'm going to pay in closing commissions how much i expect to sell it for you know if you don't have an estimate you don't have that pro forma for every deal you're opening yourself up to just make a bunch of mistakes.
0: Yeah. The one thing that when I look at kind of, the, I don't think A, the average person appreciates financial statements the way they should, right? I think, I think most buy and hold investors kind of focus on the balance sheet, uh, maybe a little bit on the income statement. But the ones for flippers that I think we, we should talk about more because it's the most underappreciated cash, or is the cash flow statement, right? That cash flow can kill you. Even though you're you know making money if you will, but if your cash flow statement is not healthy, you could be in trouble. Would you agree with that or am I
1: just? Well thinking? what it comes down to for uh, for flippers in particular is that it's one thing if you are if you are deeply capitalized and what I mean by that is if you have a bunch of money if you can bring a lot of money into your flipping business to start with so that you can finance your advertising and your operations, this doesn't mean that you have to like bring a bunch of money where you're not using hard money to like, Mm -hmm. to do things. Um, operating that's different, but yeah, so that you can, you can pay contractors and like have cash in the bank to pay for things then you, you having that cash just makes it way easier. But a lot of people that get into flipping, they don't necessarily have a lot of money to start. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, that cash flow statement concept comes into play because it can be like, Hey, economically, I'm going to make a bunch of money off of these deals I have in process, but I'm in trouble right now because the, the bank account is empty because I have a bunch of money tied up in these deals mm-hmm. at any point in time. <clears throat> if I'm doing four flips at once, Well, how much money have I spent out of my pocket in down payments, in marketing for these things, uh, for my operational costs? I was in this conversation with someone a couple days ago where like, You know they've got they've got a flipping business. They've got a really good consistent source of leads. They're spending a decent amount of money on ads. You know they're spending $7,500 a month on ads. Wow! But they get one or one and a half to two deals a month. You know it's consistent. Then the issue they're having is that they don't have enough money to increase their volume. And we had a long conversation about what to do with this. And that's just kind of like, hey, when you're talking about cash flow statements and things like that, it's like what's the problem I'm trying to solve here? And usually it's, I can't increase my volume because I'm out of money to just seed these deals. Um, And a lot of that, it comes down to just naked reality and that like, okay, this is what we can do from a cash flow perspective. And I can either borrow more money in some form or fashion. I can get some sort of outside investor that I'm cutting in from like an equity perspective, a percentage of ownership, or I can suck it up, bootstrap the thing, live tight, make some money on these deals, save that money so I can do more deals at a time and scale that way. Yeah, And you well, I, really have to understand what you're trying to do.
0: I'm curious because, I, again, I think cash flow statement is the most underappreciated statement. It's the least talked about. Do you, and again, you may not have an answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you were to take some novice, a flipper, right? Somebody's excited. They know, they know how to, I don't know, they're a contractor, or whatever. Where would you send them to just get a, a cash flow 101 education is it youtube university do you have a book you like um
1: any thoughts it really there? it it's kind of almost like telling the fish how to sw- or asking the fish you know how he learned to swim in some ways oh. <laughs> um okay you know a lot of it's truthfully we have a lot of those conversations and that's a lot of you know oh, we're we're spending time talking to people um i would say read voraciously uh, I read, you know, there's a whole, this is really just like a tithe of like the various <laughs> business books I have, but like, you know, I've got books over here on flipping. Um, you know, I've read all sorts of stuff, you know, like I read, you know, and I'm not a flipper. I read this stuff so I can talk to clients and so I can understand the businesses that are going
0: on. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Like that, you know, like, but you know, we've got the, uh. The famous Gary Keller book on how to be a real estate agent. You know, oh, yeah. all sorts of different stuff where it's just like I have that you know, one too somewhere. And and like something like this, you know, this isn't this isn't like rocket science. Um, yeah. you know, it's not in here like I'm not sitting in here like, oh, this is all earth shattering or whatever. But like, for instance, if you're talking about like being a real estate agent, like you go find something like this, yep, you know, or there's the um the equivalent book on like how to be a real estate investor, that's which is 20 years old now. That's my favorite it, book. Know, it's going to, it's going to tell you a lot of nuts and bolts, mechanical stuff on how to think through this stuff. Yeah. Can and you throw, you,
0: can you flash that blue book again? That is my number yeah. one favorite book. And it's really because of the, uh, the stories that are in the back, the, the last 20 pages or whatever. Uh, yeah. I like reading. About and
1: so them. like, If you haven't, if, you know, like anything Gary Keller's written is just really good for like starting to think through stuff. Both these, these are kind of more mechanical nuts and bolts on different parts of the real estate industry. He's written some other stuff, kind Mm -hmm. of more strategic layer, which is also really good. Um, And and what this does, something, what like something like this does is this gives you a starting point to figure out what more you need to learn. Um, It's not like this is some end all be all, like... You, you can't, you can't like, I can't read the, this book on how to be a real estate agent and then like go out there and be like the world's best real estate agent <laughs> no. because half of them have read this book too. But yeah. what it's going to do is it's going to stop me from making a bunch of like fundamental mistakes like right now. Yeah, um, And I think
0: that's you know. awesome that you, I actually, I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm sure there are, yeah, there are some, some accounts I know that do that, but not many don't, right? They kind of stay in their lane. They're not reading, they're not investing in themselves to have better conversations with their clients. So that's a nice, very nice job, Evan.
1: Yeah. And we might, but uh, yeah, like this is, it's just what's necessary to, to, you know, understand the business in a lot of ways. And truthfully, it's right. like something like, you know, this book on like how to be a real estate agent, you could take this and like most like you know, out of your house, sort of like service type businesses. There's a lot of stuff in here that applies oh, yeah. to all that. Yeah, I'm a big right. proponent of essentially like learning all you can about different, you know, it's like in, intentional cross-pollination of, of concepts from different industries. That's awesome. Because like, if I'm, if I'm an accountant, if I'm a flipper, if I'm a real estate agent, if I'm whatever, well, the people in my industry are probably, you know, especially like the top third, the top quarter are going to be really well learned about their industry. And how do you get an edge on these people? You have to bring in concepts from other areas. Totally agree. You know, you have you have to kind of outpace their knowledge in some way. Mm-hmm. Because these days, like the nuts and bolts stuff with the internet, you know, you take one of these, you go to bigger pockets and read a bunch of stuff, like you can educate yourself real fast. Yeah, you can get to first or
0: even second. On,
1: that's for real estate. Yeah. But, yeah that's pretty cool. You know, but what makes the difference here, and this is a big thing in my industry too, by the way, like you don't actually have to have a license to, to prepare tax returns for money. You don't have to be a CPA, you don't have to be an IRS enrolled agent, you don't have to be squat. Oh, wow. And you see all the time, like, you know, there, there's coaching programs and stuff like that, kind of just like with flipping where it's like, here's how you like, you can start your own tax practice now and you can sell tax planning services and huh. like, you know, how like outsource CFO and all this stuff. And you get all these people that start doing it and they don't actually know anything because there was just this program or whatever, uh, less, you know, warning to everyone out there, like make sure that whatever text person you're working with actually like knows things and can have this sort of conversation with you. But you know, just because, you know, anyone can go out there and do something like that. And if you're, if you want to get into flipping, you need to do that, Mm -hmm. but that's not the end point. Yeah. That's how you start.
0: Very cool. Well, Evan, I want to get you some more business given you're investing in yourself. Uh, and again, this channel is flipping and buy and hold. How can people get a hold of you? Reach out, see if they can become one of your clients.
1: So you can email me at e Kirkpatrick. So E-K-I-R-K-P-A-T-R-I-C-K at Kirkpatrickplc.com. You can always call our office at 512-246-9669. Or you can reach out to me, Evan Kirkpatrick, on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, or Kirkpatrick CPA. PLLC on either of those. Uh, We've been doing videos throughout this whole process, especially for like our contractor clients, our small business clients on the Paycheck Protection Program, SBA loans, all sorts of different stuff, all this CARES Act stuff. Um, One that came out, I believe, just this morning on the new PPP Flexibility Act in terms of, you know, hey, if you've taken the stuff, you get more time to spend it, all that fun stuff. And so we're trying to keep everyone in the loop as we go on all the new stuff that's going on. Depending on how elections go in November, there could be another seismic tax change in the next 18 to 24 months. It seems pretty likely to me at this point. Uh, And so you really kind of, you need someone that's going to help you stay on top of these things.
0: Absolutely. So Evan, can you give the phone number one more time? Because I want to put that in the description.
1: 512-246-9669. Very cool. I will put your
0: email and your office number in the first two lines of the description below. Evan, thank you very much for doing this. Give me another half hour of your time. It's very, very helpful and uh, look forward to getting your phone ringing.
1: All right. It's been fun, man. Thanks.